This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by EasyRollerDice.com for when you want to up your dice game. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Show. Hi, I'm Steve Kenson of Green Running Publishing. You're listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 282, we are delving into the depths of D&D adventuring days of yore as we review Tales from the Yawning Portal. And joining us for this episode is The Tome Show's senior editor and co-host of Behind the DM Screen, because he brings the old school cred, Sam Dillon. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't just call you old, did we? Yeah. No, no, no. no. That, was, that was certainly not what we did. Uh, <laughs> and our newcomer to the show, uh, an author and game designer who's published a few things, including a trio of Forgotten Realms adventures over on DMs Guild. Welcome, Christopher Gray. Hello. Which people can check out more about you over at uh, ChristopherGray.world, yes? Uh, Christopher.world. I, Christopher. I snuck in and got ah. that before anyone else. Christopher.world. I, I almost had it. Just wow. the, from memory. <laughs> so you have a whole world named after you. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That and is you awesome. Too, you, you could too if you sneak in at the right point before somebody else figures out how to do that. There you go. <laughs> uh, I have some stuff to do right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, uh, we're going to be talking about Tales from the Yawning Portal, a collection and update of classic adventures from every edition. Uh, they've updated the art and statistics to 5th edition, but otherwise mostly left the text and stories alone. This gives us an opportunity to examine a single book, but also take a hike down D&D history and see how these classic adventures hold up. But before we get into that, it's time to mention our sponsor, EasyDiceRoller.com. They have all sorts of dice, dice accessories, and beard oil. Yep, dice and beard oil, because that's an awesome combination. Uh, of particular, You get your dice stuck in your beard? Uh, I suppose one could, but no, they actually have their own like uh, uh, selection of beard oils and different scents and things for for the beard. Wait, there's a selection. There's a selection. It's not just one ty- type of di- of beard oil. I'm actually really interested. I ha- I haven't tried out their beard oil. I have some beard oil for my uh, my recent growth, but uh, uh, I I'm really interested to check out theirs. So there's different scents and things. Uh, yeah. Anyway. But a particular note that they want us to talk about isn't their beer oil, as awesome as that seems. <laughs> it's their metal dice. Uh, they have some really cool sets of metal dice in a variety of different types of metal. And some of them come in like super cool looking cases that look like skulls that you open up and your metal dice are inside and all that kind of stuff. It's definitely worth checking out. Plus, if you were thinking about supplementing your dice collection with some metal dice or something like that anyway, do it over at EasyDiceRoller.com and use the coupon code TOME, T-O-M-E, and you'll get an extra 15% off the normal price. So why not pick up some new dice? Seems like a relevant question here. And make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. Like dice? Need more dice? Check out EasyRollerDice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal, and Rose Gold Collections. When you visit, make sure to use coupon code TOME, that's T-O-M-E, at checkout and save 15% immediately. Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TOME at checkout and save 15% 
and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. Uh, we're back to talk about Tales from the Yawning Portal. First things first, in, in, in an effort to to fully disclose, uh, I am working kind of from a review copy. So, like, I bought a copy before my review copy came um, that I'm actually using for my after-school gaming club. I'm running it with them because I needed it sooner than the review copy was coming. Um, so I, I bought one copy, but I'm also I also have a review copy. I'm going to give away the extra copy to the to the kids. We're running the Tomb of Horrors, and whoever lives the longest gets the book at the end. Nice. So, D- David Gibson, D and D jester, uh, turned me onto that idea. And I'm like, that's awesome. So I, I did it. Nice. Anyway, uh, I assume everybody else paid for their books. Yes, sir. I went to a friendly local gaming store. Bought awesome. it. Very good. So, so I'm the only shill who who got a free copy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Tales from the Yawning Portal. The, I, I guess the concept here is they wanted to to have an excuse to put together a collection of conversions of, of classic um, of adventures running from a range of levels, but also running from a range of editions. And and in order to frame that, they created this this yawning portal concept. I mean, they didn't create the yawning portal concept. It's been around in the Forgotten Realms for a long time. But they wanted to be able to introduce this thing that's not even necessarily in the Forgotten Realms, but place it in the realms because that's what new players to 5th edition might know the best because that's what all their, where all of their adventures are kind of centered around. Um, you know, so that's... I, I, I suspect that's why they, they put that in, all right, the yawning portal bit. Uh, what do we think about the... the so, I'm sorry, I should introduce. The, the Yawning Portal is an inn in Waterdeep, the, the, this major metropolis on the sword coast of Forgotten Realms. Uh, it's an entryway into a massive mega dungeon under the city. Uh, and the concept is that, you know, people from all over the world and all over many worlds might all end up convening here in the Yawning Portal at times. And you might hear many tales of these other dungeons that are represented in, in this book, Right. Uh, so what do we think, before we get into the actual adventures, what did we think about that sort of conceit of the Yawning Portal and, and as, a, as a framing mechanism? Well, I heard that they were originally calling this something like the Big Book of Dungeons, yeah. essentially what it is. And um, and they needed something to tie it all together, sort of being an emulsifier, and then you know the Yawning Portal dawned on them. Uh, I, I think given knowing that, uh, they actually did a pretty good job framing it because it makes sense. You know, they took the stereotype of everybody showing up at the end, going on an adventure, and it really is. I mean, you can't get more D and D than that. Hmm. So um, I, I really, I really think that the framing device works. But I think that um, they tried to make it a campaign adventure path in a way, and you know, did a good job of leveling the different dungeons. Um, and I, you know, as 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 a DM. I wonder how that would work. I mean, mm. how can you make uh, seven different, completely different storylines and dungeons into one cohesive campaign? And I've been noodling on that because that's something I'd like to do. Yeah, see, I noodled on that and said, that sounds like a campaign that would get stale really fast. Like, I think after the second or third, you know, massive complex dungeon complex, it'd be like, okay, I'm kind of over this. Like, can we do, <laughs> do an urban adventure or something for a while? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Like, in a way, I think um, it reminded me of Indiana Jones or something, where you just you're sent off on these different adventures, but there probably isn't an overarching theme to all of them. It's more about the characters. That was the only way I could think of doing it. Maybe, yeah. You could contrive something like you know you have to get these seven MacGuffins 
you know, and then you get all seven and you can own the yawning portal, right? And, you know, I have to I have to retire now. So give me these things from these infamous dungeons so I can put them on the wall and then you get all my stuff. That might be fun. I mean, I could I, mean, t- I-, I could see that, but but and and I think you could put together a storyline wherein it makes sense. I just don't know that it would be fun to constantly be doing dungeon crawls. <laughs> so, right. Sam, what are you going to say? I mean, I I think that it's actually kind of a drawback that they used it. I think here's the problem. I think the name is cool, except I know what the yawning portal is. Hmm. Um. So it's not just a throwaway term that sounds like a cool D&D term. It's actually... And they don't have the dungeon that's below the Yawning Portal in this book. Right. Which is Undermountain, right? Well, which wouldn't so, fit, because it was a box set. Like, it was huge. Right, right. But so, but here's the thing. They don't really make a huge attempt to frame it other than that particular frame of, well, you're here hearing stories... And so you can sort of role play out those stories. I actually, one of my criticisms of the book is I think they could have given more advice to the DM to try to string those together mm. and include things like, like Jeff, your concern about, you know, that's going to be really boring. Like, how do you, how do you turn this into um, that? You put, where do you put the urban sections? Where do you have them take a break from the dungeon and go out into the wilderness? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with all of that? And they really didn't provide any of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that they could have done that with the limited pages they gave to the yawning portal section. Um, but they could have maybe mm-hmm. pointed in some directions and, and said, you know, maybe consider these some th- some of these things or whatever. Uh, and I found the yawning portal section to be to be interesting. Like there's there's trite little or fun little uh, uh, you know tables of the mysterious stranger in the tavern that, that gives you an adventure or whatever and, and sort of they, they even acknowledge like this is totally cliche but but there you know cliches exist for a reason and here's some interesting spins on it and whatever uh, I thought all that was kind of fun and cute and, and what have you but I also felt like as as, as decent as that was the, the whole framing mechanism seemed entirely unnecessary <laughs> like like if you'd have just get, said it's the big book of dungeons. Here's seven classic adventures. We've converted them to fifth edition. That, that's all I really care about or need to know. Like the whole Yawning Portal mechanism, other than giving it a cool title. You know, whatever. Uh, you know, the section on it well, is that's, fine. That's it's just what not I mean, necessary. Though. Yeah, but that, that's what I mean, though, is that they kind of give it that name as though that's going to be, like, an important thing. And it's really not. Hmm. It's really not. Other than the fact that Tales from the Yawning Portal is a way better name than Big Book of Dungeons. Okay, no, so props for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, it's a good point too because I'm sure that everybody, you know, and and their in their 80s, 90s era gaming group thought this was going to be an Undermountain game. Um, if, it could be. You know, if they didn't have the context, you know, and I and I, I would have been thrilled about that. Yeah, yeah I, I would enjoy a, a revival of Undermountain at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done it twice now. I think they did a. They did, yeah. They did a fourth edition version. Well, they did. They, they did. did a, they, did, they did a second edition version. They, and the second edition version was the, at least the one I have. I have Undermountain, uh, the box set of Undermountain Two. So there was a yeah previous one there too. Yeah. So. There was also a third supplement that wasn't a box set that was just like Undermountain: The Lost Levels or something like that. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot there they could do with Undermountain. Uh, maybe we'll see a future storyline based on that, and it'll be a, a combination of dungeon crawling and urban stuff set in Waterdeep. But well, and kind of like along those lines, the way I kind of thought of this book was their way of um, 
trying to bridge the generation gaps. Mm. Because mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the things 5th edition was supposed to do, one of the goals they had for it. And I feel kind of like the Yawning Portal part got thrown in because they said they weren't going to release a book without a story component. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it felt to me more like this is building cultural literacy for people who maybe didn't know as much, who came in later into the, in the mm-hmm. D&D and didn't know the earlier stuff. And then maybe even people who didn't want to see the newer stuff for whatever reasons... Uh, now seeing it, but like fifth edition, seeing that as well. Yeah, yeah, and and even I yeah. mean, I've been playing for a long time, and so I was very familiar with all of these adventures. But I mean, and by very familiar, I mean they're in the lore that I'm fami- that I'm familiar with. But I only had any real experience of meaning with maybe two of them, right? And so, so there was. I mean, it, it built my cultural literacy too. Yeah, I mean, it does have that. That's, I think, the biggest benefit. There's two big benefits to this book. I think one of them is new players who have sort of heard of D&D lore, and they've probably heard maybe of Tomb of Horrors, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but they haven't... Say that again? Or Meepo. Right, or Meepo, right? But they don't really know the origin of that. They don't really have, like, they haven't had a modern version of that, and didn't care to go seek out the non-modern version Mm. um you know and so this is this is a great sort of hey remember you know this also to the old you know people like me who are old as dirt as you say jeff (laughs) i Um, did not say that (laughs) i said you you bring old school cred (laughs) (laughs) it's a good callback you know to say uh you know, look at what you can do with fifth edition. You can actually easily update something mm. that is that is from other editions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, to that point, oh, yeah. I think that you know it, it introduces this new generation through fifth edition to a less cozy version of D and D, the one that I remember. Mm. And um, what you know, when I when I read uh, when I read this, I thought, man, this is metal. This is I don't think they understand you know, what they're getting into in this new generation. Yeah. Because this is, you know, out of the abyss was Bon Jovi. This is Megadeth, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not kidding around. And, uh, you know, I think entering, introducing that sort of Gygaxian approach to Dungeons & Dragons, uh, this book does that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it requires a DM that will um, use it judiciously. You know, in in other words, a, a person could use this, and they could run their group through all seven adventures. But as Jeff said, I think it would get a little stale. But a ju- a judicious person could, you know, run one of these, and you know, let their players get a taste of that, and then have it sort of in their game world somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then once they level up and they've done other things, they can run another you know, another adventure from this, another sort of dungeon crawl from this, and give their players that other experience without necessarily running it, you know, one through seven all in a row. I don't think it's really intended for that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I think if it it was intended for that, I think they would have tried to do a much better job of framing it as a string of adventures to play one after another, and they really don't do that. Mm Mm-mm. Um, so I think it's a drawback they didn't give the, the advice I was talking about earlier, but I think maybe they didn't because that's really not their intent. Their right. intent was to show the modern version of some of these old things so that they can bring newer players up to speed and also please the older players and say, hey, look, older players, you might not think you know, D&D is, is good enough 
you know, for your old grognardy, uh, you know, uh, ideas. But look, this is exactly the book with the old grognardy ideas in it, and it's fifth edition, and mm-hmm. it works. Right. So, and by the way, I don't use that term grognard as a derogatory thing. I call myself a grognard, and I don't. I don't mean like these, you know, you know, DMG thumping. You know, there's only one one right way to play kind of thing. I'm I'm just talking about somebody who's had a long, long uh, relationship with D and D, you know, and how that person might perceive fifth edition. They might not be interested in 5th edition if they think that it can't do the things that they want from their game, and they're still playing in a very 1st edition style. This shows them that it can do that. Mm-hmm. And, and we mentioned sort of uh, along the way that the book um, has converted, right? So we've taken 1st edition, 2nd edition, 3rd edition. Um, what do we have from 4th edition? Anything? Nope. No, nothing no. from nothing from fourth edition, I guess. Uh, although Dead and Thay oh. is a D and D next, so it's sort of the the playtest edition. Um, all of them updated to fifth edition. So, so generally speaking, um, how do we think the conversions went? Uh, did they? You know, I, I think generally the strategy was keep as much original text as possible, but you know, tweak some some DCs here and and change a you know a, a proficiency check from first edition here into a you know, skill check with this DC there and that kind of stuff. Um, but otherwise, it, it feels like they left 90, 95% of the text alone. Does that seem about right? They changed, um, as you said, DCs and mentioning something like when advantage might be given for particular circumstances. Mm-hmm. They also changed Save or Die. Sure. Um, which a lot of people refer to as Save or Suck, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've, they've changed most of those, but that... So the thing that I was interested in actually uh, about this so much was some of those sort of save or die. Not that it's not deadly, right? I'm, I, you know, it's it is very deadly. The stuff in here is very deadly, but it's not as deadly as the originals were. But it's still extremely mm. bad. It's still mm-hmm. extremely challenging, and it can damage and kill. But it's not a situation where it's oh, roll a die. Oh, you failed your roll. You de- you're dead. Yeah. I mean, so, if, if you swan dive into a sphere of annihilation, like one of the the players in my after school gaming club did, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, like it doesn't you you, you, you weren't going to get a save for that anyway, right? You, you, right you're just obliterated. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the fourth edition to Mahors, which I never played, but I heard I uh, the Savo dies were completely inept. I mean, you could do that and survive. Mm. Right. So I think they overcorrected there and probably balanced it better here. Well, fourth edition generally like. overcorrected in that way. Like there was no like instant kill in in fourth edition anyway. Right. So you touch the sphere of annihilation and you wouldn't be obliterated. You just take a bunch of damage, which might obliterate you, but might not. Right. Yeah. But like for example, in here, there's the one. What's the area where they they find the skeleton with yellow spoilers? Right. By the way, we're doing spoilers. We're. we're I mean, we're talking <laughs> adventures. Right? Yeah. What is the, the the one so one one of the things that I looked at and I, I don't remember what page it's on in here but was there's this there's this area where they find some skeletons just covered in yellow mold and you know which if you were an old say that again which adventure um, I don't remember oh, okay. <laughs> I just had I just had the page um, I'll try to find it yeah, uh, fine. but um, th- so here's the thing if if you so my sort of the the edition I cut my teeth in was basic D&D and in basic D&D molds and spores are extremely deadly because 
you breathe them in and then they start like sprouting things inside you or you breathe them in they shut your lungs down you're basically it's just very very detrimental in here you at least get a save and you have some time lag between when you get exposed to this item which you get exposed to if you disturb the bones right and and being able to actually succeed at 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 not dying mm-hmm. is is challenging but doable mm-hmm. versus you know in some older editions those molds would just they're devastating yeah. so i looked for the sort of really deadly things that aren't just save or die and they're still really deadly but at least there's sort of a mechanical backbone to them in terms of the game mechanics that are easy to understand and and that don't lead just to you know one bad die roll and you die Mm-hmm. So, so, so while they so while they did keep like ninety five percent, sorry to actually no, answer no, your no, no. question to to keep to, they did keep ninety five percent of the text. Like the descriptions are the same, the the um, pictures and and maps have all been updated, but the descriptions and box text and all that stuff is basically the same. There's very few changes, but they did change things that that are no longer found in the game like save or die rolls. Right. And the notable the, the notable exception is Dead and Thay because Dead and Thay uh, was originally a sequel to a previous adventure. Uh, so they tweaked the story a little bit uh, at the beginning. And now once you get into it, it you're right, it's the, it's the same box text, it's the same descriptions, mm-hmm. it's all the same challenges and puzzles and monsters and whatever. Um, just updated. But, but, but that they, one was the one where it was multiple tables or something, right? And it was, yeah, it was, when ori- it was played it, it, in Adventures League. It was originally multiple tables. There was originally a, an adventure that led into it. Uh, so there was a few things story-wise that they mm-hmm. that they tweaked and changed for for that one as well. So, uh, but otherwise, yeah, they. I mean, again, with my limited experience with many of these adventures ahead of time, um, the the conversion seemed very true. Um, you, Warts and all, right? There, there are times uh, yeah. running, running the Tomb of Horrors, and we'll go through each adventure uh, briefly in a moment. But there were time, there are times running the Tomb of Horrors where it's like, this is confusing. I don't know what's going on. They've had forty years of playtesting on this. Why haven't, <laughs> why haven't they figured out how to make this more clear? You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I, um, I, I think in terms of conversions, I haven't played any of the older versions of these adventures. I always homebrewed. I didn't really even have books, but. Um, I, I just looked at it and said, "Ah, I'm glad somebody took care of that for me." Mm. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it looks fine to me, as a, you know, just as a as a DM wanting to run a game, it was very uh, easy to pick up. Mm-hmm. All right, so should we go through each of the adventures just briefly? Because I suspect some of our listeners have a lot of exposure to some of these adventures. Uh, I suspect there are very few people that have exposure to all of them. Uh, and there might even be some listeners who don't have the the cultural literacy, literacy as Tracy put it, to uh, to really have an idea of what's going on with these seven adventures. So, let, shall we go through them all now? Sure. All right. Yeah. So let's we'll just start at the beginning and work our way through. Uh, they are organized in the uh, in the book from lower level up to the highest level. Um, and so, and so that's the order. So that's not the order of edition. Like we start with third edition, third edition, and Tomoe Chan is what? First edition? Yep. So we go three, three, one, f- five-ish uh, against the Giants. Was that one or two? That was one. Uh, another? We don't have any second edition either, do we? Uh, and then Tomb of Horrors, which was, uh, you know, like the first adventure, right? Yeah. So... Well, Tomb of Horrors was 
not the first adventure, but <laughs> it was the first edition, yes. Right. So let's start with some... What we have from second is the actual yawning portal idea. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with uh, Sunless Citadel, um, which then kind of feeds into Forge of Fury. They're separate adventures, but they were intended to be two parts of uh, two parts of a series. So, so who can briefly tell us what the Sunless Citadel adventure is about? Well, there's a uh, crazy druid that has uh, corrupted a um, magical, mystical tree, and. Um, this is in a dungeon that has collapsed over the millennia and has become overwhelmed by a warring faction of kobolds and, a, and, and goblins, which I think is extremely interesting because mm. you get to, you know, play politics if you want. I, I didn't play this game, but I witnessed there's a guy at the local store that runs ran this with his uh, 9-year-old to 12-year-old kid game group that my son's in. Mm. And these kids, what they did was, uh, not only did they make friends with the kobolds, but they started teaching them how to become better kobolds. And, <laughs> you know, how to read, how to how to make better weapons. <laughs> they uplifted the kobolds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then they armed the kobolds with knowledge enough that they could take on the goblins. It was, it was great. They were doing international mm-hmm. politics. Yeah. Is well, that, oh, go ahead, Trace. Is that the same... Um, groups uh for keep on the borderlands too as well oh the same factions yeah mm. uh keep on the borderlands is goblins and there's some orcs and there's some undead in there i thought there were kobolds too but probably I are. there probably are kobolds in there as well but yeah. there were about six factions in keep on the borderlands yeah no, I saw, and I, it just struck me because um yeah when i played uh during the pre-release like the mm-hmm pre-announcement right. uh one of the things people said was that one of the things they liked about keep of warlands as well was the uh playing diplomacy and mm. and and everything pitting the factions right. against each other and all that yeah yeah, yeah. no and, I, and there's a lot of things in sunless citadel i like in terms of of you have the these warring factions you have um i, I like that like one of the hooks is this nearby town is like goblins show up like once a year and sell us this magical fruit. Um, and, and it's kind of a hook, but it doesn't make any sense until you get like to the very, very end of the, of the dungeon and discover the, the corrupted tree that, that it has this cool concept of um, this, you know, the crazy druid is, as you mentioned, Christopher, who, um, who used a, a stake that had been used to slay a vampire uh, and that was sort of the core of this this weird, magical, evil tree, right? And if any listener is wondering where twig blights come from, that's right. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That said, it and does... It was, oh, go ahead. And it was written by Bruce Cordell, too. And it was written yes. by Bruce Cordell, uh, who, who... I mean, um, any of the, the designers that I know, <laughs> so anything from the third <laughs> edition or later era uh, from this book... Um, are people I have nothing but great respect for. Um, I'm sure the others are great as well. I just don't know them. <laughs> so, uh, like personally, right? I never had a chance to meet Gary Gygax yeah. and whatever. Bruce Cordell actually started in second edition. His first mm-hmm. adventure was uh, Gates of Firestorm Peak, mm-hmm. which is also a very highly regarded uh, mm. adventure. He's he's one of my favorite designers. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, but yeah, so Sunless Citadel, like, there's a lot of it that I'm like. I look at it, I'm like, there's cool things here, but but it's also, it feels like it could get old pretty quick. Like, you're killing 
rat swarms, kobolds, goblins, and twig blights, and that's pretty much the whole adventure. You're just going room to well, room. <laughs> that's a lot. You of know what? Let There's me, a dragon. Let, let me let me actually address that. Okay. Um, there's also a troll zombie, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> yes, there are exceptions to the rule. <laughs> um, I'll address that for you. Think about first level 5th edition characters. They are so squishy. Mm, that's true. You don't want them to fight something that's more menacing than a stack of rats or or a few goblins at first. Um, and actually, your your issue about it becoming old, that's why the faction ideas are in there. That's, mm. why, that's why you can get Meepo to... To, to sort of be your guide and parlay you through to the go- to the uh, Cobalt Queen, you know, so that you can actually do things that aren't as boring, even though, you know, I mean, the thing is that Cobalts and Goblins are the sort of standard first level sure. meat puppets, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you and mentioned Meepo, and, and, and it feels to me... Um, based on on my exposure to it before reading this, that that Meepo is really the thing that makes Sunless Citadel famous, right? Does that seem fair? Like that's the that's the feature that that everybody knows about with from Sunless Citadel is is this um, this kobold NPC that you can sort of rescue and and follows you along and helps you out with things. Um, I think the thing is that um, I think the. Yes. So short answer is yes. But I think the reason for that is because when you have a new DM, for example, and you say, here's this setup and here's these factions, that person might not know how to get their players to parlay with the creatures mm-hmm. when all they've ever done so far is fight. Mm-hmm. And so putting Meepo in there was a stroke of brilliance because it made it so that the DM didn't have to do very much work to make that happen. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and I think that's what was lacking in you know in previous you know previous adventures have done similar things but without that sort of meepo and by the way the keep on the shadow fell which was the first you know 4e adventure it also has a quote meepo yeah. in the goblin splug right they thought it was a you know it was a good enough idea and it was a stroke of brilliance that it carried forward because it did make it so that you could actually communicate with these things that were mm. previously thought of as only creatures mhm yeah, I think a... you're addressing a, a larger issue at play with all of these adventures. Uh, mm-hmm. If I can, if I can say that, I, I, I think that there's a risk of just running around and killing bad guys over and over again, mm-hmm. and it becomes boring. And so you, you know, yeah, there's these things like faction play that you can get involved in, but you know, I, I think it's up to the dungeon master with all of these adventures mm-hmm. to think very critically about these creatures and NPCs, think about what they want. You know, why are the adventurers in the way of what they want and, you know, who they are and just, you know, having that basic understanding of their motivation can add a lot of texture. Mm-hmm. And if you're just going in and slaughtering bad guys, then, you know, you may as well play Warcraft. You know, this is supposed to be a role playing game. So I think that the, the, the skeleton is here to work from, but it's up to the dungeon master really to, to bring it to life and, and to make each encounter interesting with motivations. Yeah, I guess my concern with, with both this one and, and uh, Forge of Fury that is that um, th- those things are absolutely true and an experienced DM is going to do that. Um, but but there's not, I didn't feel like there was a ton of guidance in the adventures themselves to le- lead you that way, right? That's true, that's yeah. true. So. Yep. Yeah, and in fact, I have another complaint about Sunless Citadel. Mm-hmm. The one thing that they did not copy over 
because the, the text is like 99% the same. Mm-hmm. The one thing they didn't they didn't copy over was the little inset quarter size picture of the town. There was a little quarter panel size image of the town in the original Sunless Citadel model, mm. the module, and they didn't include that. So there's no town. So like you're talking about how it feels like these are just a bunch of dungeons. They might get samey, samey, samey. Mm-hmm. That's because they didn't even include the picture of the town. Like that's the sort of little tiny detail that I feel like they made a mistake leaving out. Well, because they're making the big book of dungeons and the rest of the right. setting wasn't that important. Yeah, I so. get it, but I, it's still a complaint of mine. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think for an introductory adventure, it's great. Uh, You know, it's it's really good for you know the kids who was watching them. They're all new players. They were really getting into it. I've seen it run elsewhere, and um, you know, I'd like to run it too. But it just seems like a really good starting place for any setting, just to get your Mm -hmm. you know get get a hang of the mechanics, get the hang of uh, how the game works. Okay, I'll have I'll take your word for it. Uh, I, I was I read it and was a little skeptical, but uh, I, not that not that it looked bad. It looked really well designed or whatever. It just yeah. it just felt like there were opportunities to do weird and unique things that you know it it that's not yeah. what what they were doing. Um, right, and they, and on purpose though, right? Because it's, it's I suppose so, yeah yeah. I mean I, I am running it, and anybody who listens to behind the DM screen knows that I'm using it as part of my. Mm-hmm base adventure right now so and it's it's pretty deadly those those little rat swarms and uh and some skeletons and whatnot is pretty deadly for a, a, a group of first level barely second level adventurers well and and part of me didn't have a anything but but a positive opinion of it until i kept reading and got into mm-hmm. some of the later adventures uh yeah so, so we can talk yeah. about that when we get into yeah. it yeah um Next up what is Forge of Fury. This was also a, a third edition um, adventure that, f- that was intended to follow Sunless Citadel. It's kind of a completely different story. Uh, Sunless Citadel is self-contained, and then Forge of Fury goes on and is also self-contained. Um, mm-hmm. But it was intended to sort of lead from one into the other in terms of, you know, they were published one right after another, and, um, you know, Sunless Citadel ends at a certain level, uh, was it third level, and Forge of Fury picks up at third level and goes to fifth. Mm-hmm. So it, they kind of follow each other that way. Uh, Forge of Fury is, um, it's the, it's the what, haunted um, dwarven, dwarven uh, complex sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, so, you know what we didn't mention about Sunless Citadel? What didn't we mention about Sunless Citadel? Is that it, it, it really, uh, it's sort of the first hint of a Shardalon, which is oh. the red, the red dragon that ends up becoming a D and D board game in mm-hmm. the two thousands. <laughs> True. Yes. So, that's a well known uh, NPC kind of creature too. Although all of my exposure with a Shardalon is the board game. So. Yeah. Well. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so Forge of Fury. Uh, it seems like just looking at the backstory, like this is the most unlucky group of dwarves ever. <laughs> like, like they started in their homeland, they were driven out of their homeland, they started a new place, and then that fell into ruin, and they lost it, and that's where the, that's the dungeon, right? It's not the original dwarven homeland; it's their second try where that also failed. Uh, and not for lack of trying. I mean, they are in a in a really hard to get to spot. That sort of huge ravine, well guarded, <laughs> and their secret right. got out after a long time, mm. and it was over for them because of orcs. Right. Uh, so it's it's orcs uh, on sort of one level, and then the orcs have sort of a a, a tentative truce with the uh, was it troglodytes, 
that live on the level below, the much larger level mm-hmm. below. Uh, and then you, yeah, so, and then you eventually work your way down into the actual, like, foundry and, and uh, at the bottom, let's see, is this the one where at the bottom there's the uh, the black dragon? Yep. So you yep. kind of yep. you kind of just keep working your way down and working your way down and working your way down. And so you start with orcs and you deal with those and then you move down to the next level and it's troglodytes and you move down from there and uh, and on and on. And eventually you get to the original uh, dwarven defenses like the... And, and yeah, you're right. It wasn't for lack of trying because they even have a bound succubus sitting in a room that's been there for who knows how long, you know, uh, guarding things because that was her job, right? Even the furniture will attack you. Yeah, the 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 attack the animated uh, table. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. This is so cool. This reminds me of the you know the, your quintessential minds of Moria, just you know everything in ruin with all of these monsters, and uh, this looks like a lot of fun. Uh, and the dragon at the end. There's a dragon, which is great. And the lake uh, level where the dragon presides is a really cool setting. I mean, this mm-hmm. is massive underground lake that's completely without light, and there's a lair with a young black dragon in there. It's cool stuff. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like... Um, I kind of feel like about this, like Jeff feels about Sunless Citadel, that yeah. I feel like, you know, this... It's almost like, okay, well, they, they didn't have a really... any other real well-known or popular, like, third-level dungeon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Um, not that it doesn't have cool stuff in it, but it right. it um, and it's well designed. Rich Baker, if I remember it right, did it. He's, is, good, yes. he's good at this stuff, yeah. right? Um, but it's very, very you know, new dungeon crawly. Hmm. So I mean, and you know, that's not necessarily a complaint or a bad thing. It's just it starts to feel very much the same as I mm-hmm. read it, much like Jeff was talking about with Sunless Citadel. Yeah, no, I felt the same way about Forge of Fury as I did with Sunless Citadel, if not more so. Right. Um, yeah. So and it's fine. It's fine you know, for what it is. I'm, hand, just, I'm just not like jumping out of yeah. my seat. Like I got to find a way to incorporate this thing. Right. Yeah. Like I love dwarves and dwergar, so I'm I'm not you know complaining about the the actual dungeon because I think it's well designed. It's just one of those I wanted something different after reading Sunless Citadel, and mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I got that very much. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I guess on Forge of Fury. What? Uh, uh, you, you, I'm not even sure off the top of my head anymore what the whole point of going to the Forge of Fury was, other than uh, as many of these classic dungeons was, you know, to make your name and get rich, right? Well, well, there's a a, a beautiful stash of amazing weapons that you know the dwarves had made that mm. you can't get anywhere else. I think that's the biggest hook. Yeah, and so and and that's not uncommon for uh, these kinds of adventures, right? A lot of them have that similar hook of, you know, hey, check this out because these things are kind of making trouble, and then you end up getting way in over your head, right? And, and yet somehow because you're adventurers and, and you're playing D and D, and what are you going to do? Turn around, right? <laughs> so you just keep going. <laughs> so clearly, like. Bob and Fred died on, on this journey already, but you know we got to get those weapons because they're supposed to be cool. <laughs> so. Even though cleric is like, guys, slots, slots. I have yeah. no guys. <laughs> Which so. the size of this dungeon, you know, that will happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So, any other thoughts on Forge of Fury? Uh, it, it does its thing, right? You you eventually get to the bottom, and you fight your way through all the stuff, and you get to the bottom, and you fight a dragon, and yeah, you. 
It has a dungeon yep. and a dragon. It, it lives up to the name. <laughs> I know that's important. I, mean, I, I would expect the treasure to be better. You know, looking at the treasure, I was sort of disappointed. Well, and that's mm. that's actually one of the things that that I noted as I was reading it is that in terms of conversions, like they did a, a generally very solid job. Although, if in the original adventure, you know, there was a magic weapon here or whatever, then in this adventure, there's still a magic weapon there. Well, that's a that's a very true conversion. But fifth edition is not as magical, right? There's fewer right. magic magic items in fifth mm -hmm. edition. So, um, if you run through these these adventures, you might end up a little magic heavy by the end of it. Yeah. Uh, so the one that that really um, surprised me uh, in, in a pleasant way was the next one, the the hidden shrine of Tamoachan, um, which I think Sam, I think you've I've heard you. Uh, 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 you know, seeing its praises before, um, but but reading the hidden shrine of of Tomoe Chan to me was um, really just pointed out to me uh, how they used to in some adventures uh, in the days of yore they they would do so much with so little and make it so interesting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in some ways the adventures are simpler, but in other ways they're 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 more there's more detail if that makes sense, right? Like, it, it may be a smaller dungeon, but there's no... Uh, I made this this point to Tracy before we before we started recording. There's, like, you know, in, in Forge of Fury or Sunless Citadel, there may be, you know, a, a, a note that there's a secret door in this room. Yeah, to find it, you need to do an investigate check. It's got a DC, you know, 10 or 15 or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. In the Hidden Shrine of Tomoachan, it's... No, there's a giant statue here. And it has, you know, gems for eyes and a sword strapped to its back. But if anybody climbs up onto it to get those things, it's top-heavy and it collapses. And you take damage from the statue falling on you. Oh, and there's a secret passage behind it. Like, that's, mm -hmm. way, that's way more interesting to me than there's a secret door in this room. Roll, roll an investigate check, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and, this, and this adventure, the Hidden Shrine of Tomochian, is just full of details like that. And it, that makes it really interesting to me. I love the setting. I mean, the sort of Mesoamerican, kind of almost Indiana Jones. Like I would put it, in, I think they say to put it in Schult or someplace like that. That mm -hmm. um, I have a really big complaint about this adventure, uh, given what it is and where it is uh, in this great, you know, sort of Mayan-esque pyramid in, in the rainforest. Where are the dinosaurs? <laughs> you know. I, this was a golden opportunity to have a T-Rex crash through some ancient Mayan temple, and, and they're not here. So, you know, when I run this, mark my words, there will be dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that would be a cool a cool update to it, or if they, they ever did, like, an homage to it or whatever, and, and, and whatever. Um, they could totally do that, right? Huge yeah. oversight, man. Huge oversight. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't in the right part of Greyhawk originally. That's why there were no dinosaurs. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and technically, if you want to go to the realms, there is a Mesoamerican area that is not Chalt and does not have dinosaurs. Cause is that right? Mastika's Where's... out there, yeah. I mean, oh. the fourth edition of the realms, Mastika disappeared, but presumably it may be back. So, um, so yeah, there, th there's that's a thing, and it's way out in the ocean um, off the Sword Coast. But uh, and, the, and to my knowledge, there's no dinosaurs out there. I could be wrong. Yeah, I've, I've done very little with Mastika, honestly. So, 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 Jeff, I think the thing that you have described is actually one of those things that is the difference between 
uh, what a lot of people would call or consider old school design mm. and new school design. Um, and uh, I'm I'm an old school, new school DM. I think that providing the information, there is a secret door here, is important, especially when there's a DM that's just learning. But I also think that things like, oh, here's the statue and blah, 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 and all that whole really rich, nice, beautiful description and, and the interactiveness of that description is necessary to make the game really interesting, even if it's just a dungeon crawl. So, right. you know, quote, just a dungeon crawl. Um, and I think what you've hit on is is one of those major differences and one of those reasons why sort of the, the older players tended to stick with the older type adventures mm. because it had that style of 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 wording and of verbiage and the thing is that that's really hard to run if you don't know the module really well you can't just run it off the cuff you know i'll tell you that sunless citadel you could run through sunless citadel after only having glanced through right. it right and n now i don't i'm not necessarily you know I'm not saying that's the best way to run it, but I'm saying if if something happened and I just needed to run a group through, I could pick up Sunless Citadel and just run it through with the map and the and the text of the adventure. Right, and just sort of read but, it as you go and and, and, yeah. and read it as I go, and I'm not going to make any mistakes. I'm not going to forget to tell them something or forget a detail. But in 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 the older style adventures, you had to actually read that whole thing and prep it up really well, mm -hmm. so that you knew that you could entice those players to crawl on that freaking statue. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or you know the idea of they would really want the gym eyes out of that statue. That's why they're going to crawl on it to pull those gems out, right? They really need those because that's where their XP is coming from. Right. So they already have a built-in motivation. But in newer school games, that's not the case. Mm. So yeah, it, and, and you certainly fall away from that sort of descriptiveness. Yeah, certainly to to, to piggyback on that, like I I'd noted uh, as much as I was reading it and like this is a phenomenal adventure that I don't know why I didn't check out previously. Um, it does get uh, a little overly verbose, right? There there are there are some rooms like one room will take up a, a page of description or more. Uh, and, and it's like, that's great, but when I'm at the table, you're right. When I'm at the table running a game, even if I've prepped it, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to need to at least skim that room as a refresher. And right. I, ca I can't do a quick skim of a page and a half of one room, you know, as, as a quick right. refresher. So I think there's a happy medium, you know, the, the room with the, the statue that topples. Like, that's great uh, setting, building, and, and, and <clears throat> weird and interesting things. Uh, like that's that's an eccentric thing that adds to the world and makes it feel more real. That didn't like that room was not huge, and that description of that statue did not take more than a handful of sentences. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like there there's a there's a, a happy medium, you know, um, that can be reached. Yeah, but and and I do think there was an important point. Sam, you're saying the um, they would go for the gold for the XP, and that was because gold was tied to XP earlier, right? Exactly. It? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, the, the, you got XP from two things. If you killed a monster, it was generally worth some very low amount of XP for the effort you'd have to put in. Mm. So, but when you got gold pieces, each gold piece was one XP. Um, so if you if you got those gems and those gems were worth three hundred gold pieces each, you just earned six hundred XP. Whereas to get six hundred XP, you might have to kill a beholder. Right. You know, I mean, that's a lot of you know orcs right. might have been you know 10 or 15 xp at that time 
Yeah. So when you're talking about a 300 XP in one gym, that's that's the incentive to go up there. Yeah. Well, and also, and, and right, and that's the incentive, and that's also something that's kind of interesting in going through the additions because when we took that away, we kind of um, did make it harder to have uh, characters do ex- like p- players do exploration because for mm-hmm. the most part, like now, like in fourth edition, let's say they had that it was highly likely that you just potentially cause you some damage. Maybe it would also reveal a hidden doorway, but most likely you just get damage caused. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that would have been described in 4th edition is there's a secret door behind the statue. Right. Right. To to open it, you have to do something to the statue. Right. You push it over or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's I, how it would have been described. And that would have been your little short one-sentence description because the value of the statue... You know, you're also talking about a game where people would go into these dungeons and they'd be they'd have to, you know, use Tensor's Floating Disc to put, you know, the couches and the tapestries on because that's what's worth That's how money. they get money, sure. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't know that, like... I don't know that eliminating the, the XP for gold um, for these first edition adventures changes the value or or mechanics of, of how things work right that, because you don't have that xp incentive to get those those gem eyes uh, i still find that most of my players are still going to go for the gem eyes because there's just <laughs> gems sitting there why wouldn't i grab them right it, it's still valuable right yeah it's, um so so I, I, yeah that and i'm not saying that that's not also still there but it's not as much of a driver sure Well, like, originally, it would have been pretty close to, I think, having those signs over your head in video games. Yeah, the little arrow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it would say, like, you'd click on it, and it would say, you notice that the eyes of the statue sparkle. Right. You think you might be able to climb up there, you know. Yeah. Um, It's the only place you can click. Yeah. And and I'm not actually saying, Jeff, I'm I'm not claiming that the way that a lot of players play the game is different, that we wouldn't go get the gems. What I'm saying is, because it wasn't a necessity to explain it the way that would that would trigger them realizing their gems and make them go do it. Right. All we need to do is say there's a secret door and, oh yeah, by the way, that there's some gems in the eyes of that thing. Right. No, no. And, I, and I'm, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just making it clear for the listeners that like, uh, just because that mechanic of the, the XP for gold thing isn't there, doesn't mean that this doesn't hold up. Like that's not a flaw in these adventures that I, I oh, feel, yeah, like, yeah, I feel yeah. like it holds that's, up just yeah. as well. Yeah. No, no. I wasn't trying to imply that. You're right. right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So hidden, hidden trend of, of Tomoe Chan, it's got all these, these, interesting details like that it has um it it, i think contributes the vast majority of the new monsters um because it it seems to be an adventure that just wants to to work outside of the box and then even the even the inside the box sort of uh monsters they bring in are are interesting i I always like a a good use of of an oni or an ogre mage whichever you you want to call it (laughs) uh you know those kinds of things um, you know, it, it does some weird and interesting things, and and I like the the Mesoamerican culture thing, and the the what, there's the hallway where you get into the the ball game, right? And you have to, or, or mm-hmm. you, you have the opportunity, I guess, to to play this game where you have to knock the ball into the into the the depression on the on one wall before the ball. It's a little bit of Quidditch, I guess, in modern mm-hmm. parlance, right? Uh, in the <laughs> middle of the game as well. Um, yeah. you know, and there's so there's there's fun things like that, and there's uh, allusions to all these um, 
ancient uh, Mesoamerican sort of inspired gods um, and that kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot here that that I thought was interesting. Uh, again, like like is common. Like, I don't know that there's a lot in terms of story that drives it, but but the dungeon is interesting and quirky uh, and unique enough that I feel like I could create a story around it that would motivate the players to be there. Right. So. Mm-hmm. No dinosaurs, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, but that can, I can add dinosaurs. <laughs> and and when when I do, it's going to be wearing a name tag, and it'll say Christopher. Yeah, and you'll invite me to that Roll20 game so there I can experience it. There you go. <laughs> right on. So any other thoughts on Hidden Shrine of Tomochan? Because we have gone 50 minutes, and we're only halfway through the adventure. So. <laughs> no, we haven't even gotten to the good ones. Um, yeah, one one of the things about Tomoashan that uh, that that is noticeable is that even though it has like this Mesoamerican sort of Aztec theme, it's not really a huge. Um, it doesn't use a lot of inappropriate appropriation, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are there are a couple of of modules that that actually use sort of cultural appropriation really really poorly uh, from that era. Mm-hmm. And this is not one of them. Um, there are there are a couple things, but for the most part, it's true to its Mesoamerican theme and 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 atmosphere and environment, and not um, not really uh, in in a in a super bad like inappropriate appropriation way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, forget. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you might know if you've uh, read through the original, Sam, or anybody else. Um, but but I, I recall hearing stories that the original of this actually had like recommendations for people to go to their library and research certain bits of Mesoamerican culture and whatever, so they could better sort of flesh out the yeah. adventure. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard yeah. that. Yeah, I did because there was no internet, so right. <laughs> you couldn't just go to Wikipedia and type in. Um, but yeah, it's because yeah. because the, the whole point of this, you know, like you're, we're talking about, there not being a lot of story. The whole point of it is to get that sort of interesting, atmospheric, like wow, you mm-hmm. know. Yep. So let's let's go ahead and keep uh, keep moving. Uh, like Luke. Beca- because we're we're fifty three minutes in now. Yeah. So White yeah. Plume Mountain. <laughs> uh, White Plume Mountain is, if I remember, it, it's it's not detailed in here each each adventure each dungeon i should say has a little blurb about sort of its history and where it came from or whatever mm-hmm. um i don't think it's detailed enough in here but the story i heard with white plum mountain was that it was this designer uh was it larry schick lawrence schick yeah. lawrence schick yeah so it was his sort of uh, uh, application to to the D and D brand of saying, "Hey, I want to design stuff with you guys. Look at he, look. Here's a sample of the kind of stuff I can do." So he just sort of threw everything everything in the kitchen sink into one adventure without the intent of being like a thing that was published. It was just sort of let me show you how I des- can design stuff, and and I'll throw all the craziness at you at once. Uh, and it's going to have three crazy powerful magic items, and it's going to have really weird rooms where you're jumping from 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 uh, platform to platform suspended on chains over over boiling mud and and with geysers in it and you're going to be there's going to be the the weird like tiered aquarium desert aquarium manticore thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, so so it was never intended as i as i understand it to be a published adventure it was just this guy trying to show off of all the cool stuff he could do uh, but that's yeah. He was then, trying to do like, a, oh, if you want me to, if you want to see how I could, you know, 
design some magic items. Here's where they would be. And, oh, right. you want to see me design a trap room? Here you go. And, oh, and if I put a watery-based room in there, too, here's what it would be. And mm-hmm. it, But it's all in the same place. Right. So, yeah, kind of crazy. So it, is, so it is a crazy, crazy dungeon with all of the weirdness and all of the, the over-the-top stuff, which makes a crazy over-the-top dungeon. Um, and, and to the point, like, I, I'm looking at it, and, and this is the one intended for 11th level. Is that right? Oh, level, level. Uh, I don't know. Uh, eighth, eighth level. Yeah. Eighth level. Yeah. There, there are some areas where, like, you fall into the boiling mud and just take 44 points of damage. Like, that's not, not counting the heat damage, the fire damage on top of that. Yeah. yeah. 30, 30 I mean, and then another 40. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not nothing when, when you're eighth level. Like, you, 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 messed up, <laughs> you messed up this one check and you fell in and died, basically, you know? Yeah. And it's also one of the shortest ones. Yeah. It's not the shortest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I'd and like to take a, I'd like to take a moment. Look, I mean, the the, 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 the there is really amazing artwork in this book, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the, I think the area that you're talking about, Jeff, is it is this wonderful uh, picture of of the adventurers leaping from these discs uh, hanging mm-hmm. on chains, and the, it's just they just like to call attention to the the amazing art, especially mm-hmm. in this adventure. Yeah, no, the the, the art is uh, is fantastic, and I do have to. to sh- Shout out, I guess, the art and, and uh, the White Plume Mountain section because it was it was done by friend of the show Claudio Posas. So uh, uh, we, we was, many of us know him well, uh, and he's been on the show once once or twice. Uh, a great guy. So so I'm glad to see him getting the chance to really play with these these crazy concepts, right? Yep. So I guess you know if you want to do a crazy adventure where there's a good chance of death, like I don't know, this dungeon feels as if not more deadly to me than the Tomb of Horrors without the the instant kills. Yeah, this is this dungeon is it, it it's you know it's a funhouse dungeon. Every mm. room is going to have a different kind of thing happening, and and it's almost like walking up to a different you know kiosk at the carnival, and your task is to do something different. And one of them, you're going to throw you know balls at the three you know uh, milk bottles standing up. At the other one, you have to throw a dime into a container far away. And at the, you know you, you know what I'm talking about. Like uh-huh. all of those little sort of carnival things. That every room in here is completely different and has something that you have to figure out it's not just a oh there's going to be a pit trap so you know they need a perception check Mm -hmm. and you know it's actual stuff where once again it's it's more like that whole statue thing where you're going to be describing you know describing these platforms hung from chains you know Mm -hmm. from the ceiling and they're far enough just far enough that you can't easily get from one to the other it's gonna take some effort and you have to decide the timing and you have to you know compare you know decide if it's safe enough and you know there's all of these things what what if one of you is a gnome how are you going to jump across there like how are you know you have to do something and then the cost for like you have this nearly impossible task and then the cost for failure is a ton of damage right Right. and and i read that i'm like oh my gosh is there any way like around this or maybe you just skip this like you you look at this it's like uh no we'll go do something else but then i realized like the whole kind of the whole point of the being in the dungeon is to find the three you know great weapon Mm -hmm. magic items whatever and one of them's on the other side so, yeah, yeah. And then once you get past it and, you, and you've gotten past all the geysers that are doing all the damage and all that, you end up in the room that it, that has a vampire in it. And you have to you instantly get yourself into a fight. Only it has magical darkness on it as well. So you can't even see the vampire that's killing you. Mm-hmm. There's a boiling lake, the oh, lake yeah. that boils. 
Why yeah. wouldn't there be? <laughs> <laughs> and it's hundreds of feet deep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. You I know, mean, and no, you gotta no, realize too, though, that a lot of these types of things, this was written for to challenge the players, not just the PCs. Right. And sometimes the challenge is figuring out: Do we have enough resources to make going through this room worthwhile? And if the answer is no, we're going to turn around and go try to find a different way. And that's part of the player skill of of going through a dungeon like this. I also really like the bit. Um, there, there was I, was I think it might have been around the boiling lake, right? And and that's where you get wave the trident. Yep. Uh, and mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. this thing where where you're kind of walking on this um, the skin, and, and if it gets punctured, like then you know like the boiling water and steam and stuff comes gushing out and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and as the skin collapses from too much weight on it, then it pe- you know characters start falling in or whatever. And then there's this bit about how, but if you make it to the other side and the skin is collapsing, you can grab wave. and it will instantly attune to you and tell you that it can put up basically a a, a force cube effect and protect everybody <laughs> and if it does you can you can grab the whole party and get them into that cube but you'll likely be shot out of the top of the mountain in a geyser <laughs> and go <laughs> and go tumbling down the the rocks on the side <laughs> and i'm like that's kind of cool you know <laughs> yeah, there's this afterthought statement in here that says uh well you know you can survive the lake if you're immune to fire damage and the ability to breathe water okay right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you Thank you. At, at eighth level. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Dead and Thay. Dead and Thay is the one that was uh, designed during the, the playtest, the fifth edition playtest, uh, when it was D&D Next. Uh, it was designed as a, as a giant mega dungeon with multiple tables running the same adventure. It was a follow-up to a, an earlier playtest adventure, um, uh, but now converted. Uh, it is is actually set in the Forgotten Realms. I think it may be the only one of the adventures that's originally, as I'm looking at them, that was originally Mm -hmm. originally set in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, And basically the idea is that you are delving into this massive, massive dungeon under under Thay. Um, Because if you can find the the vault, you can find the phylactery of of several prominent liches that rule Thay, like Zaztam. Um, so it's also the one that like has a legitimate like you could save the world by going into this thing sort of storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. This dungeon is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you you could spend years just walking mm-hmm. around. It is it's huge, and it, and there there's these strange mechanics about zones um, where you know you can. It's it, it sort of split off so that you you ha- you're you're basically trapped into certain segmented areas until you find your way out. And I'm guessing that must have been engineering around you know splitting it up into tables at a con. Right. But yeah, um, it was. It, yeah, is is a really cool idea, and you have to you know figure out how you have to get the key. You have to open the doors, which are these sort of magical portals between little little. I guess they would be demi planes or some sort of mm-hmm. um, zone magic. Yeah, no, and it's it is a like this is the adventure that is kind of it's maybe not quite that big, but it's 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 a pretty decent stand-in for for like an undermountain like we were talking about before, right? It is that mm-hmm. kind of mega dungeon. It is yeah. it is gigantic, and it is amazing to me that it can be a dungeon as large as it is that's doing yeah. as much as it is and fit within the page count that it fits into, you know, um, especially yeah. given given modern design uh, standards. 
Well, the interesting thing about it is those zones all have kind of a different theme, uh, and they're all different. They're all interesting in different ways. You know, mm. like the there's the you know like one of the things is they're like they're like growing and breeding like all these weird animals, and then they've got like this pig pen where they're going to use those pigs to feed the animals or something. And it's just there's like all this crazy stuff going on. Then you go to this other place and it's like a giant forest. Inside mm-hmm. a dungeon, you know, and it's it's like just what what happened, you know. It's it's extremely interesting, um, but it's ve- it's very large. It's very yeah, large. So considering the size, the immense size of this dungeon, you know, the map is actually quite hilarious. When you get the book, you'll see, you know, they try to cram this little this map on her, <laughs> but but th- there's a whole section on resting, which is like you know, it's just supposed to be a fast paced we're raiding <laughs> castle thing, so yeah, really isn't gonna be time to rest. And I, I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, and that would have been. Get- and that would be fine if you were playing like seven or eight different tables and everybody had a separate little zone mm-hmm. to deal with and you could do sort of a fast pace but still challenged and, and whatever and then you all gather together at the end. Um, you know, that that would work. But yeah, if you're running it as a yeah. single single table with one with one group of characters or whatever, um, you gotta figure out something else, right? So, yeah. But what didn't this one also have that one area where you could like go into the pocket dimension and rest or something. Wasn't this the adventure with that? It may have been. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, did, I, I know we, I'm pretty sure we reviewed the, the original. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. Back in the day. Cause this so has digged as, as deep this time around. So. Yeah. This one has that soul binding thing too, right? So mm-hmm. if you die, you can mm-hmm. bind your soul and come back and exist in the doom vault. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. right, it's but got a lot leave. of interesting elements. Yeah. But you can't leave. Right. So it's like the Hotel, Hotel California. California. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> All right, so that was a really brief uh, look at, at the, the Dead and Thay, uh, although we could probably spend an hour just digging into it in lots of detail. Uh, but yep. we did that once. Yeah, <laughs> We have an episode. Uh, <laughs> if you go back to the archives and look for, for Dead and Thay, um, we did that back in the day. Uh, and and like, like we said, it, other than just updating the mechanics, not, not much has changed. Um, yeah. So so people can definitely go back and listen to that and, and find out what we thought about it back then in more detail. Uh, so unless anybody has any, any complaints, I'm going to move on to Against the Giants. Nope, let's move on. All right, Against the Giants. Uh, uh, Sam. Yes. I've, I've introduced most of the adventures. Tell me about Against the Giants. Um, uh, Against the Giants is uh, about uh, a group of giants who start raiding civilized areas, and it is the job of the PCs to go to each of the different giant layers, the giant leader layers, and defeat them, or at least convince them to stop attacking. So there's you know hill giants, and there's this humongous hill giant stronghold, mm-hmm. and there's also... Uh, um, uh, uh, there's a, like an under section of that, so it's more dungeony and it's water filled. And then there's like the uh, frost giants, which has a really cool map. And um, it's a really, really uh, there's a Rimaraz in there, really good Rimaraz art. Um, there's there's just um, it's a really so. Here's my problem with this uh, adventure. <laughs> we just had Storm King's Thunder, mm-hmm. right, and I I wonder if it wasn't satisfying, so that's why they pulled in against the giants. I mean, uh, mm. against the giants is a, is an extremely well. It, you know, it was actually three modules when it first came out, mm-hmm. 
uh, and there was a module. They were only like 16 pages each, one module for each of the different, you know, hill giants, frost giants, and fire giants. Mm -hmm. And so you would could run it in succession. And was the, it three or four? It was three. Because it wasn't. Uh, was it against it was the drow? G wasn't against it the was drow? G it was G one two three against oh, the okay. giants. Um, drow was D one and two. That was into the depths of the earth. But is that part of? The, is that the the drow bit? That's the part of this adventure as well. Yeah. So okay. so sort of. Um, so <laughs> what happens is Gary Gygax when he wrote this and when he ran it, he ran G one two and three, and then he ran D one and two, and then he went to uh, what is it? The demon. Demon Web Pits, the Queen mm -hmm. of the Demon Web Pits. So the the idea was this was the on uh, above ground on land stuff, and then uh, you heard about these drow, and then you would probably follow them down, and that's when you would go from G one two three down into D one and two, and then eventually you'd find the the Demon Web Pits. But that part's not in here; only just the introduction of the drow. Right. And well, this, but but it's not an you know, insignificant. Like it's a decent. No, it is several, a several portion, pages yeah. of yeah. of like because it, the the kind yeah. of the story is like the giants are going crazy and raiding and causing trouble and right. you got you, you need to go take care of it and if you can figure out what's making them go crazy that'd be great right, right. and it turns out right. what's making them go crazy is the drow are like spurring yeah. them on yeah yeah exactly and the and, drow are, so are worshippers of Thera's done so you get some of the 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 mm -hmm. uh, what is it the elemental evil sort of storyline starts to leak in here in these early days. Yeah. So, but it's it's a it's still a pretty faithful uh, reproduction, and um, it's really well done. The maps are awesome. I really mm -hmm. like the redone maps. Uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm I'm sort still still left wondering why we got why they put the giants in here after just getting Storm King's Thunder. So here's my read on that, and and it connects back to something that Tracy was talking about earlier uh, in terms of p maybe part of the, the purpose of this book is some cultural literacy, right? Is mm -hmm. that I think the reason we got against the giants is because we just had Storm King's Thunder. And, and I think having read through this adventure, like clearly there are elements of Storm King's Thunder that are directly um, um, homages to things mm -hmm. in, in this in these, and I guess in these adventures, right? Uh, yeah. But I don't know that any that people necessarily recognized or appreciated them. So I think they were specifically pulling some things that would um, that would connect to other big adventures and storylines that they've done. So mm -hmm. people would start to get some of the the references uh, and possibly even like hint to some future storylines. Uh, so I think um, this is all sort of uh, has the potential to to connect to the things that people are doing otherwise. And if yeah, you want the you, feel you, of Storm King's Thunder, you know, you don't have to spend a year and a half. You can just do this. <laughs> sort, of, yeah. sort of like Curse of Strahd, I made a little one shot that I'm going to put out that is just raid the castle, stake the vamp. That's all we're going to do. Oh, right. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. the rest of it is, is sort of on the sidebar, you know. There you go. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're probably onto something. You're probably exactly right. To give the sort of newer players a callback to Storm King's Thunder and say, oh, I see why now why, you know, that's interconnected in, in a way with D&D &D culture and history. So mm -hmm. that's interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's Against the Giants. Should we go ahead and move on to the last one? Yep. And we, we're get, we're get, getting to the point where we've gone, you know, 15, 20 minutes per, per adventure yeah. down to about five. <laughs> so. unless, unless Tracy has something to say about Against the Giants. No, no. Tomb of Horrors, man, all the way. Tomb of Horrors. Yeah, Tomb of Horrors is Tomb of Horrors is one that that uh, boils my noodle a little bit. Like I have some experience with Tomb of Horrors because I ran the fourth edition version, and there are whole chunks of the original that are just 
torn out and stuck into the fourth edition version. Um, uh, and I'm running so, it. I'm running it right me, now with my after school gaming group. So so I have this is the one I have the most exposure to. So let me ask you: when you say you so there were two fourth edition versions. There was the DM Rewards version, which was actually closer to the original, mm. and then there was the. No, I did. I did the, the, I did the, the big, the big me- mega module thing. Yeah. Yeah, the hardback one wasn't close to the original at all. Okay. Well, so no, I just, well, no, it I, was. It wasn't in in its bulk, but the the like the last chapter of of that adventure was going back to the original tomb. So so yeah, the, yeah, the map yeah. was the same. The layout was the same. It was an homage to it. Like it was in disrepair or whatever. But but yeah. 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 So so uh, so yeah, and plus I'm running it now with 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 my after school crew. So I've got a bunch of twelve and thirteen year olds that I'm playing it with. One of the things that really boiled my noodle though about it was um, I was I was trying to figure out like real quick on the fly. Like I bought the book. I'm running this next week uh, for these kids. Um, I, I gotta figure out some basic things like what level do their characters need to be? And this is the one adventure that it just doesn't like, eh, they need to be pretty high level. What what does that mean? Give me a range. Are you talking like pretty high level 12? Are you talking like pretty high level 18? Like there's a pretty big range there. Uh, So I really wish they'd have given uh, maybe a little more guidance in some areas. I mean, that's very first edition-y, right? But... But that's one of the things that, like, that that was in the blurb that I think was was new. Like, those introductions uh, for each of these adventures is new. So if you're going to put that in there as something new anyway, give me a range, you know? You could make it really challenging at, at 11th level or or a little more survivable at, at 19th. Or, you know, give me give me something there. So I just sort of like, oh, I don't know what that means. Everybody make 15th level. Let's go from there. So... <laughs> And so far, I've only killed one, and that's because he swan dove into the sphere of annihilation. Uh, <laughs> as as characters are prone to do. Well, I mean, they just went through that archway, and it teleported them someplace. They put some other stuff into the sphere, and fi- and it disappeared too. So it must just be another teleport thing. And so he jumped in, <laughs> and it turned out he was wrong. So, <laughs> that's, that, Although that's the only character that has died so far. I, I have a massive table of like 12 kids um, running through the Tomb of Horrors and we're doing everything <laughs> round by round. I, I found a, a, a PDF uh, of the map, of the original map on, on uh, DriveThruRPG, I think it was. So I've, I've printed all that out and I, I tape up each little section of the map as they go through and I'm using magnets on the whiteboard and they can see so they know exactly where they are and, and we're just going through the entire dungeon round by round by round. Um, you know, and it's time consuming and we're three sessions in and they've made it to the second great hall, which is not that far into the dungeon, you know, um, you know, two characters have been teleported back to the beginning without any of their equipment, you know, so we've done several of the, the kind of iconic things, um, but down to like three or four more sessions left before we, we wrap it up. So I gotta start killing people fast if I'm going to give away this book at the end. So, so uh, in the, in the in, in the con- the official conversion guide from fifth edition D anD D, it says that levels in other editions convert directly into fifth edition, hmm. and the original was for levels ten to fourteen. Okay. So well, and that would have been a different challenge if I had had him make characters at tenth or twelfth level, right? Yeah, yeah. We'd have, we'd have some. I'm just saying, now. like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, of course, in first edition, you didn't level at the same time, so not everybody would have been tenth level. Right. Some of them would have been fourteenth, and some of them would have been twelve, and some of them would have been eleven. And right. so, so I guess yeah. uh, to 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 summarize, the Tomb of Horrors is the the tomb created by the Demi Lich, a Sararak, and uh, you don't have much reason to go there other than 
hey, we've heard of this legendary dungeon and we <laughs> want to go get rich because clearly it's, it must be full of treasure. Um, you know, and it was originally a, a tournament module, so it wasn't meant to necessarily be very survivable. It wasn't meant to have a great storyline to it. That wasn't the point, right? The point was, can you do it, right? Can you go through this thing and actually make it out the other end or at least get further or survive longer than everybody else? Um, and, and so, so it, it's a different sort of adventure. I don't know that I, this is the kind of adventure I would want to incorporate into my my normal campaign, but my my students are having fun with it because this is sort of our last thing to to end the school year with. Uh, and so, or you know, for that kind of thing, or a one or two shot, I think this is the kind of adventure that's kind of fun for those things. If if you're not attached to the characters and you're ready to move on, right? Yeah. And it's it's mostly puzzles. There's not a lot of fighting. It's 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 tricks and puzzles and and riddles and and that kind of stuff. Illusions and uh, you know secrets and and all that. Um, there's definitely once again this was a, a module that really was also meant to test player knowledge or right. player skill, not just character skill. Well, which is why I think the the level issue is, is, a, a, little, is a little bit more flexible too, though, right? Yeah, like it, it doesn't really matter if you're fifteenth level or if you're twelfth level in a lot of ways because that's going to be like a difference of one or two on a skill check, and that's what you're going to be using more than you are, you know, attacking and doing damage. So yeah. Anyway, I've talked a lot about the Tomb of Horrors because I'm having a blast <laughs> with it with the kids. I'm going to let you guys... Uh, what do you guys think about it? I, I think it's everything that it was promised to be. I was worried that it would be too soft. It's not. It's lethal. Um, you know, one of my one of my curiosities about it is, you know, seeing it in, in, in full formation, as Sam said, this is really testing the players. You know, I, for one, I'm terrible about puzzles and riddles. Whenever I see one, I think, uh-oh. Uh, can I roll a skill check instead? <laughs> and I just wonder if you know if if dungeon masters will use it in that way. I mean, can we can we use the smarts of the characters and not the players to get through it? Um, it you know it looks like a lot of fun. It it, it doesn't look like you can do it in one shot. No, it'd but, be a couple shot, but yeah. yeah well, it depends I mean, on how fast everybody dies. Well, <laughs> sure. Well, and right. and how fast everybody dies depends a little bit on how quickly they run through it. Like like. The, the players I'm running it with are, are just really creeping through it and poking every square, right? It's going to run a lot slower if, you, if you're searching every wall. Yeah, I'd love to see this at a con, and I'm sure there will be some. Um, mm-hmm. I'll look out for it, but and, and maybe after I'm done uh, with my, you know, killing Strahd mm-hmm. thing, I'll try to do this. But it looks, it looks great, and it's cool that the kids are getting through it. So um, what has been the reaction from the kids on this? I mean, are they, are they getting it? terms of puzzles and yeah so i mean and then there's some extra challenges anytime you have a table of 12 um 12 players right uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be some extra challenges on top of just running a normal game and then when those 12 players are like 12 and 13 year olds who who are not necessarily always paying attention because it's so long between rounds and that makes it even longer between rounds and so there's challenges right that have nothing to do with the adventure uh, but they're having fun like they 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 know the story of the adventure enough that they know um, that they know that it's supposed to be really deadly and they're all expecting to die. Like, and I and I prep them for that a little bit. Like, I have a little mini whiteboard that I keep next to the to the play area, and I've listed all their characters' names with their hit point total on it to sort of keep score. You know, and so as they're as they're taking damage, where I'm just sort of you know, everybody can sort of see how low people are getting at hit points and how close we are to death and whatever. Uh, you know, I, I I have some. I certainly have some some players, uh, some of the kids who. 
have chafed a little bit at some of the old schooliness of it of, well, this is a thing that happened. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense. Or the rules is written this way or whatever. It's like, I, I, I don't care. Like this is, this is, <laughs> this is what's happening because this is the tomb of horrors, you know? Um, uh, so yeah, so, so I've had some kids sort of chafe at that, but that's, that, I mean, that happens in other games with other, um, players and other adventures too. So, um, it's not a big deal. No, they're having fun. Uh, and they know, and the one kid who, who swan dove into the sphere of annihilation, uh, had a blast doing it. Like <laughs> thought that was awesome. So I do have one kid, uh, behind what, so there's three entrances and two of them are sort of false entrances to the tomb. Uh, and so they, they searched all three of the entrances. So they went through the first one, and that was their first exposure to, oh, look, a trap, because you try the door and the ceiling collapses on you. Uh, right. And then in the other <laughs> one, you you get up to a certain point, and the wall sort of slowly uh, closes on you. Um, so, but it's a, <laughs> it, it's, it's a 10-foot-thick stone block, uh, but it moves really slow. So you've got, you've got a turn. You can get out of the way. Well, one of the players who didn't activate it was like, Hey, we never checked those doors though. I need to get to the other side and get through that door so we can get into the dungeon. Uh, we'll figure out what to do with the stone block later. So he dives through the stone block and ends up on the wrong side of it because the doors are false. <laughs> and now he's trapped. Like the stone, the stone block doesn't move. The party, uh, the party left without it. <laughs> so, so I, I told him like, there's a good chance he can win this thing because he'll survive longer than everybody else while he slowly waits to starve. You know. <laughs> right, right, right. Like he's not it, making it, it out. It, it doesn't. It doesn't pull any punches. I mean, when you get to the end and there's the skull. Spoilers. Yeah. yeah. There's the skull there. You know, you you do the wrong thing. You get randomly transported 300 miles away with mm. a curse. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's just it's it's hilarity. I well, love it. I mean, he, it, it, there's and even the, if you make your way all the way to the end, like the the adventure lays out, like, and then you fight the Demi-Lich of Sarak, and he doesn't have any special stats. He's just the Demi Demi-Lich from the the Monster Manual, right? But then right. there's there's the Demi-Lich of Sarak, and you fight him, and you do this thing, and you do this thing, and when he gets to this hit point level, he teleports away. So the, you don't defeat at the end. You don't <laughs> you don't you don't win the Tomb of Horrors. You survive well, the Tomb of Horrors, and you get to the treasure room, right? But but Aseric escapes regardless. Did you say something, Tracy? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love. So it. I I have I have one main complaint about this mm-hmm. adventure, and I actually have the same complaint about Tamoshan. Okay. The original modules came with this other booklet the with illus- illustrations. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's the reason that's a problem for me. The updated illustrations, the updated art that they put in this book are awesome, but they did not do updated little landscape view pictures like mm-hmm. in, the, in the original books. Mm-hmm. So you, you lose that. You don't have any of those pictures. I mean, there's a couple of them that are sort of remakes, but it doesn't say, you know, show the players this piece of art when they walk into this room mm-hmm. and then you get a really nice piece of art to show them. It just, they just took that part out. Right. And, so, and, and I didn't... I think um, it was a missed opportunity. It is. And, and, and I didn't... Um, I didn't convert all of that because I don't know. I don't have the original to know when I should be referencing what. Uh, but yeah. certainly, like, when it's describing a certain hallway or whatever, 
um, then I would I you know pull my iPad out and, and pull up the original art on Google or whatever or or the new yeah. art or whatever and I'd show them that like when when they first arrived at the at the tomb and they sort of describe it as this this and this and then you realize if you did a bird's eye view that it, that it forms the shape of a skull like I pulled up the original illustration and showed them mm-hmm. the 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 hill right that is in the shape yeah. of a skull so so I'm 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 fixing some of that with the the glory of the internet right but but I don't know when to reference what because I don't have the original adventure right i just feel like the art is so good that's art that's in the art that is in here is so good they totally could have added the you know i mean it would have made the book thicker and more expensive and all that so you know i get it but you know it's it was it just feels like a missed opportunity well and there's elements of it like in that original entryway um the the walls are all plastered over and painted up like murals right and what Mm -hmm. so there's no way to to find the the secret door Unless you you start knocking the plaster down and you realize that behind a mural of a door is a secret door, right? Right. Which is kind of right. brilliant, right? Uh, it's awesome. Like, and and there's an illustration of that hallway, and it, it has that door. It's not the most prominent feature you see, but but kind of mm-hmm. next to the most prominent feature is that painting of that door. So the, all the hints are there, and that's a great opportunity to just show them that art and say, here's here's the the mural, murals that you see on the wall, right? right. Uh, except it's in the book on the page that describes all that stuff. So yeah. I can't just turn my book and show them because especially when I'm playing the 12 right. and 13 year olds, because then they're going to read everything else. They, they, they want to cheat. So. Well, and that's why, I mean, that's why it was a separate booklet in the right. original, you know, interpretation yeah. or whatever, but yeah. So. Right on. Yeah. So, so other thoughts on two of horrors. It's awesome. Everybody Evil. should do it once. Evil. It is sort of a touchstone of of the genre, right? Yeah. You you have to sort of be in the right mood. You're not using your characters that you've brought up to 15th level from level one that you, that you love and that you, you know what I'm saying? You're going to, you're going to build up some 15th level characters and you're going to run through this knowing they're going to die probably. Well, and I don't feel, I don't feel like it's as deadly as, as the original. Um, I, I think it, based on my read through of it and what I've played through of it so far, like, I feel like this dungeon is survivable. Um, more so than the original was. Um, if you have, you know, the right combination of, of players and, and and characters and whatever. Um, but certainly it's also well survivable. That doesn't mean it's going to be an easy road to hoe, you know? So um, there's a good chance yeah. you're going to die. I'm not sure I agree with you. I think if your characters are 15th level, they have a lot of hit points, yes, and they have a lot of, you know, different abilities. Mm-hmm. Much more so than a first level or first edition, uh, you know, fifteenth level right. character would have. But if the DM isn't pulling any punches, this is deadly and oh, and, and devious. And, 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 and it certainly has those so, moments where yeah. you screwed up this one thing, and you're just dead, like it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not everybody's making it alive, but uh, and you know what? At the very least, it's survivable enough that you could get towards the end of the dungeon before you died. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that, that I'm going to kill everybody by the end of, of the school year. Cause I've only got like three more sessions to, to finish this off. Uh, and, and they're spending a lot of their time just looking for doorways. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I don't know that I'll get to that point where we might just have to say, but okay, you, you all win. You've also got 12 people, right? Like oh, yeah, if I'm playing with a regular table of four or five players, right. That's a lot different. But even then, like, I think with 12 people, I think some of them, like, you could possibly have a few of them make it to the end. But even then, 
there's only a few of you that made it to the end and now you yeah. have a demilich to fight you know <laughs> so right so i <laughs> yeah, guess right, right. i guess in the end you're probably going to die but but it's more likely you'll make it to the end in this version than you would have in a previous version maybe so yeah okay maybe i'll give you that yeah <laughs> so yeah more <laughs> likely i'm not saying it's not deadly just more less slightly less deadly than it was before uh 90 <laughs> 99% of people die instead of 100% <laughs> <laughs> All Statistics right. don't lie. There you go. Yeah. So, 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 generally speaking, going back to the overall, uh, how how well do the adventures hold up? Well, I mean, I I, I loved all of them. I, I would love to figure out a way to, without boring um, <laughs> players, to do it as a campaign. Mm-hmm. I think if you did something like, you know, deal with travel keep it all in Forgotten Realms and deal with all the different travel. You know, so you, you have to go through the wilderness to get to uh, place to place. If you played with uh, themes around a narrative, I think it could be pulled together. Mm-hmm. It would be awesome if you could, because you imagine just taking one set of characters through this whole thing. It'd no, be yeah. amazing. Well, and certainly, uh, even if not one set of characters, I, I feel like if I pulled it out over the course of the years, um, I feel like giving all of my players this this touchstone um, of experience of having played all these adventures would certainly give, give them as players a, a very uh, strong sense of satisfaction, right? True that. Very true. So, so yeah. it, it also, on top of all the adventures at the end, there's a couple of appendices with new monsters introduced in the, um, in the adventure as well as new magic items introduced in the adventure that don't appear anywhere else. Uh, so, although, like I said, I think in terms of new monsters, which is the larger section, um, the bulk of them seem to come from Tomoe-chan. Yep. Um, but there's all kinds of interesting, even just if you go with the stuff from Tomoe-chan, there's some really cool, interesting things there. So, so that's a thing that's in here as well. Uh, any thoughts on those extras? I'm trying to, to... I'm moving to the, the end here quickly because we're an hour and a half, which is <laughs> yeah. half an hour longer than we normally go. So it's yeah. only it's for, good for commuters, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I saw that the magic items were kind of fun. I uh, there is a couple of pages of new magic items uh, that were interesting and mm. ones I would like to use. Yeah, and the and the iconic weapons from White Plume Mountain. Now, do those those appear in the DMG? Yep, those are in the DMG. So they're not detailed in here at all, which actually surprised me a little bit, but. In the same way that I expected there'd be uh, unique stats for a Sarak, but I guess since the Demilich stats are kind of based on him anyway. Yeah, I mean, he is the quintessential right. original, you know. Demilich. Yeah, so, Demilich. So, so, so last thoughts on the product? What do we think? Tales from the Yawning Portal. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up? I love it. Um, oh, go ahead, Sam. I have a bit of a long one. Okay. I was just going to say, I think this has a very sort of two specific audiences. And I think somebody who plays a lot of D&D, runs a lot of D&D, has all of these sitting on their shelf, may not necessarily find as much value in this book. Because I think they'll already have either, they, they could put in the work on their own to do and, the conversion. And conversion isn't, isn't particularly hard in 5th edition. The conversion is not particularly hard for the majority of these adventures. Um, especially if they're if they're really looking at the one e ones, um, so that so there there is a sort of this slice of people who I think might find this to be a waste of money. If in that case, um, on the other hand, because I fall into that category, if you just look at it on paper, I have all of these on my shelf. I've played them all. I've run them all. Whatever. Um, you've, but you've, I do you've find run value. them all. 
Pretty much, yeah, to some extent. Wow, you're amazing. Um, except except Doom Vault. I never did run Dead and Thin, Dead so and I haven't run Doom. So, um, but um, I... But I find value in the book because I like to see how the designers conceived of the conversion of certain things and how they updated different weapons. And I love the new maps. I w- I like the new art. I wish there was more of it, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, you know, I'm a 40-something guy with uh, some expendable cash. And so, you know, buying the book is not that big of a deal to me for that. Um, if somebody's doesn't have a lot of money this isn't going to offer a lot of value if they already have the original sitting on their shelf and they could do the conversion themselves there you go tracy you had you said you had some uh extensive thought last thoughts yeah so um i got to hear about fifth edition before most people did mm-hmm. and uh one of the big things like was like well what do you, given that i had come to D and fourth edition uh as a player finally uh like you know, what were my thoughts about bringing back D and D? And one of my big thoughts was like it's it like bringing back the old stuff t- to a newer audience. And one of my big concerns was that some of the uh, in the history of D and D can be a mixed bag when it comes to uh, diversity. Mm-hmm. And I was really concerned about that. So I was like, well, it depends on which stuff you brought back. And in here, they really I think did a great job of finding adventures where that was the worst you could say was minimized if and then i think in most cases wasn't a problem at all mm-hmm. and uh, even in the hidden shrine it was great because as uh, sam pointed out uh of a lot of adventures that could like it was not the type of appropriation that we often think of mm-hmm. like, I, I, adventures- in the artwork i even found that they they went out of their well, way to try to add some diversity to the, the Well, characters. that's what I was going to say is mm-hmm. the artwork's great because we have like african-american women like like yeah uh as as characters i mean i know they wouldn't be african-american in D, but we right. know what they're trying to say right. uh and and lots of female characters and uh, i didn't really see like a lot of uh sexualized artwork or anything mm-hmm. like that so it, i thought it was great in that way and i'm i'm really quite happy yay that's a very different experience than when we looked at some of like the when they sold the hardcovers of some of the classic adventures with, but in the original form mm-hmm. right that was a very different experience right so yeah so good yeah no i, th- I think it's a it's a great product I, I really am glad that i that i uh, you know that i actually bought one and i didn't just get a review copy i, I purchased one as well and and my the students are having fun with it and i'm definitely going to pull some of these out and use them and uh or at least i i, I appreciate the opportunity to have that that um, that cultural education of the culture of D and D, right? That that I've at least now read through uh, the Hidden Shrine of Tomoe Chan. I've I've read through Against the Giants, and I have a better appreciation for you know White Plume Mountain and these things that um, that I've only heard about in the lore before. So. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and call that the end of this uh, extra-long ultimate mega episode. <laughs> <laughs> Best episode ever. Best episode ever. We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, EasyRollerDice.com, uh, as well as our guest, Sam. Where can people find you online? Oh, people can find me on RPGMusings.com, or they can listen to Behind the DM Screen. Or you can follow me on Twitter at DM Samuel. And Christopher? You can find me uh, mostly on Twitter and G+. Uh, I'm a gray author, G-R-E-Y author on Twitter. And I'm in, uh, you can just Google me on, on G+. And I'm uh, doing a Kickstarter coming up 
on the on Memorial Day, actually. So I'm in a fetal position, weeping into my popcorn. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have a, I have a, a Powered by the Apocalypse game uh, called Happiest Apocalypse on Earth, and it's basically Lovecraft meets Disneyland. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun, having a lot of uh, blast with it. So we'll 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 see that coming out next month. So uh, look me up. I imagine oh. tiptoeing through the the legal sort of uh, IP issues there is interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm avoiding trademarks. Right. Because like like, it's want clearly this. Disney, but you can't be <laughs> Disney, you know. So. Yeah. Children's theme parks. Yes. The it, and, you know, obviously it's a tribute to Disney. This is not something I want to trash their trademarkers. I, sure. I, I'm not interested in that. It's just a, a playful take on, you know, let's, let's make what's innocent a little uh, horror and then <laughs> see what happens. And, um, and and it's fun. It's it's cool. We're, we're going to avoid the uh, trademarks and not upset anyone. And you get to go to, to the Disney parks and, like, write it off as a tax uh, exemption for work, right? They're way ahead of I yeah. should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> What was I thinking? There you go. Nice. Uh, and we'd also like to say thank you to all of you for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild, or support us on Patreon uh, by becoming a patron. And I'm pleased to say we have a growing list of folks to thank for supporting us via Patreon, including Steven Robertson, Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, Mark, Danny Silva, and Robert Cooper. Thanks for the support. You guys rock. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can call the biz line at 919-BizTome. You can tweet me. I am at S-Q-U-A-C-H, at Squatch. Uh, Tracy is at Sarah Dark Magic, And the Tome Show is at the Tome Show. I think that's all the Twitters, right? All the Twitters belong to us. All the Twitters. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And that's episode 282 where we took a trip down memory lane or fell into the yawning portal portal in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm on the wall.